with our radio show. So, Frank, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, if I'm not mistaken, in the beginning, you were sort of torn between three, I think, three career callings, right? Yes, sir. Uh, politics, uh, protect the president, or I was going to preach the gospel, and I was blessed to pursue all three by my 35th birthday. You know, it's one thing to get into politics, but it's another to find yourself hanging out in the White House. And, Frank, I'm not talking about just taking a tour either. How did you work your way into that position? Because I guess politics was the first thing you started out with. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Well, first of all, there was a former Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, said that all um, local politics is national politics. All politics is local is what he was trying to say. And, you know, with 50 states in our great country, the irony is I was born in the nation's capital. And what's funny, Rob, is my mother was working for the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. My father was working for the U.S. Capitol Police. It was President's Day week in 1972. My mom is in labor, and she literally thought she was going to give birth to me in the halls of Congress. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever heard anyone have that happen to them. And I joked if I was going to run for office, even though I did 20 years there, I was going to say, no, you guys came to work to Washington. But there's actually a few of us that were born to work here. And I'm a fifth-generation Washingtonian, and I know where you guys are, the land of Lincoln. What's wild is I come from a long lineage of law enforcement. My daddy was a fifth-generation D.C. cop, and my great-great-great-grandfather hand-carried President Abraham Lincoln across the street Good Friday, 1865, from Ford's Theater the night Lincoln was assassinated, and literally held in his hands probably the greatest president of all time, and he's still the most quoted American in history. So I literally was blessed to grow up in Washington. My dad retired as the assistant chief of the whole U.S. Capitol Police. My father protected six U.S. presidents. My family has now protected 26 of the last 28, not county commissioners, commanders in chief. My family's protected the last 26 to 28 U.S. presidents. And I just came from a different aspect. Um, I just thought, well, man, maybe politics was the route for me. And I uh, started out in a few blue-collar jobs. I was told a long time ago, if you think you're too big to do the little things, you'll be too little to do the big things. And I just man, thought everything was big and worked hard. And my dad said, Frank, I may get you in the door, but it's up to you with your integrity to get you up and down the floors. And um, I was just thankful for my family's name. And, um, you know, they worked hard and they were humble and they were uh, kind of honored, but long story short, I did the politics, and then I was a speechwriter for a member of Congress, and then a aide to the governor, and then I was appointed floor staff of the U.S. Senate, and next thing I know, at 23 years old, I was the youngest person in 60 years to work for not a senator, all 100 senators out of 5,000 Senate employees who worked for 100 senators individually. Only three of us on the floor of the U.S. Senate appointed by the Senate sergeant at arms could literally say we worked daily for all 100 senators on the floor of the Senate. And it was just amazing to hear some of the greatest servants and speakers of our time with the front row seat. I'd spent half a day with the Republicans, the other half with the Democrats. And then from there, um, I was fortunate to work in uh, two different White Houses of two different presidents of two different political parties. And I chaired politics in Latin. Tolly means many, and ticks are blood-sucking creatures, and I get an amen. 
I say that respectfully because they throw a lot of folks under the bus, but one, when you lived it and worked it, you can joke, I believe we should take our work seriously, but we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. But I've been able to learn from both sides, and there's a lot we can learn from each other. Um, you know, politics has really gotten divisive, but sometimes it's still like professional wrestling. They kind of yell at each other on TV and still grab a steak on occasion at night when oh, the cameras yeah. are off. But mm-hmm. We need more um, statesmen than politicians. Because someone said years ago the difference between a politician and a statesman, the politician is thinking of uh, the next election, but the statesman is thinking of the next generation. Yeah. And I just believe whatever we do in life, I tell folks whether you work at Walmart, Walgreens, or the White House, um, we just need to look at the big picture, realize we're all replaceable. We could be here today, gone tomorrow. We need to serve with honor. But also humility. Um, I love that quote, if you see a turtle on a fence post that didn't get there by accident, <laughs> someone put him there. And um, I just believe we should make the most of every day. But I walked away, man, 2007. My first book was called Career vs. Calling. And I read and researched of that book. Um, I went from writing speeches to a member of Congress to one, getting to speak in his absence, which was interesting. I was kind of like the back boy to Cal Ripken, you know, they're looking for him, but then they'd send me one of Santa's helpers, and I just, uh, people asked, how are you a speechwriter? And I just said, well, man, I just pretend one day I'd have to give the speech. And one day he came into my office in Washington, and he said, Frank, we got a problem. And I said, sir, you don't like my speech? And he said, no. He said, that's great. He goes, um, but I got floor votes tonight on Congress. I can't go. And I said, well, who's going to give it? He goes, man, you are. And he threw the speech in my lap because you wrote it, go give it. I thought he was <laughs> waiting for a joke. And next thing I know is, I remember what I said. Uh, one, if, if if you can see it, you can achieve it. And then two, you know, I just said, I just thought that one day I'd have to give the speech, not so much that I was going to run for office. But I had to, the only way I could pull it off is I would try to find his voice and values. But I literally dreamed that it, I'd be the guy to give the speech. And that's how we did it. And that opened up a bunch of doors. Um, but anyways, I left 2007 by faith, retirement, 401k, health insurance, married with a child and a baby on the way. And man, I left all of those years with the government. And um, I, in research for that book, I think it was 79% of Americans got a job they don't even like. I believe and that. A career, <laughs> yeah, a career is a job and a calling brings joy and with a career, you make a dollar, and with the calling, you make a difference. And a career, a lot of people feel like they're existing Monday through Friday, but with the calling, you live every day of the week. And a calling doesn't necessarily mean go to Bible college and preach. Um, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, just do it to help others and shine a light. And um, I just, man, I tell people, if you're a mechanic, just be the best mechanic you can be. If you're a janitor, sweep the streets better than anyone's ever done it. If you're a dentist man, do root canals to make people's smiles sparkle and have some fun. It's not about our title. It's about our testimony. And, you know, so anyways, I wrote that book and I stepped up by faith and didn't have a single booking. And gosh, that first year, I think I spoke 125 times and which was pretty interesting in the 365 days of the year. I think I was in 18 states, but last year, man, I was in 48 states, spoke 200 times and, um, I don't know what all that means. My mom reminds me, yeah, you're doing good, but you're not booked 20 years in advance. And I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, very few people are. So tomorrow's not even guaranteed. But anyways, um, I was blessed to do all that. I, I joke, um, I've flown on Air Force Two. I've, I've been on Air Force One, but now I'm on Southwest Airlines. But it's not a step backwards to me. It's first class if you're doing what you're called to do. And if you're doing what you love to do, and I think it was Tony Robbins said, you'll never work a day in your life if you're doing what you enjoy doing. So, man, I just want to thank you both. I'm the fortunate one to be on your show, and man, I am just a glorified goofball. But yeah, thanks for <laughs> you're an awesome me. guy, Frank. Man, I, I like a, yeah. your attitude on things. You know, I truly believe there's so many people like you who want to share the blessings God has bestowed on them, but they just don't. Uh, because of a fear they have. And it could be an, any number of different fears, I guess. But you've set an example for people uh, to trust faith. And since you did, you received many blessings, I think, because of it. And, and one of those blessings was being a part of the Olympic Games. Can you give us a little 411 on, on uh, how you got to be a part of the Olympic Games? Yeah, well, that one, I could honestly say, without sounding super spiritual, it really was God. I, I learned a long time ago, we fail at promoting each other. And I just believe, um, my motto is if I'm walking towards a, a hotel door or an office building door, um, the smallest part on every door is a hinge. It's probably the most overlooked setting and I'm, a janitor closet has a hinge and I've seen the Oval Office and sure enough they got a hinge. But here's the thing, the doors you open for others, I've learned God will open for you. And my motto when approaching the door, well, man, I was going to walk through it anyway, so why not hold the door for others? And, you know, it's just been the story of my life. Um, I promote God, and he's had a way to promote me. And um, it just worked out that uh, a gentleman reached me of all places on Facebook, found out he had done every Olympics since the 84 Games in Los Angeles. And he said, man, you're always positive and promoting others. And he goes, uh, let me tell you a little bit about me, because I'm friends with Carl Lewis, who was the Olympian of the century, won nine gold medals, mm -hmm. the star track and field athlete. And he goes, we're doing events now together. And he goes, we're going to London in 2012, and I think you should join us. And I, I had to read the email three times. I just thought it was a joke. <laughs> and uh, we connected, called up on the phone. And you know what's really neat, um, but sad, the true story to that, Dr. David Albright was the guy that reached out to me. He was part motivator and part minister as a chaplain to just Team USA and other world-class athletes. And I was going to be his, like, assistant, which was a huge honor. He invited me to Dallas, and I spoke to about 1,500 people. I found out the other keynote speaker that night for the black tie event was Carl Lewis and myself were the two speakers. And the only thing I could beat Carl at was probably a race to the buffet line. He would <laughs> smoke me and everything else. And I'm thinking, I feel like I was Forrest Gump. Sometimes I joke that I was Forrest Gump before Tom Hanks. I'm just a clown <laughs> with these unique people. And the wild thing is, after that event, um, I got a call that the guy in charge of the entire Olympics outreach, he said, Frank, uh, David Albritton, the man who recommended me uh, to you, has developed brain cancer. He has a tumor the size of a baseball. Mm. Nobody knows it. To be quite honest, the Olympics are four months away, and the doctors don't even think he'll live to see it. Oh, wow. And we started just my heart dropped. The man who's now opening the door for me, 
which I believe he died right before I flew to London. And oh. the guy who opened that door to me, um, I was there because of him. I walked on his coattails. I stood on his shoulders. And you know what's so wild? I've never shared this story publicly. Um, I'm getting goosebumps telling it. But what's wild is his sister-in-law came to London in his absence from kids on all the Olympics in 84. I wore a size 12 shoe, and he wore a size 12 shoes. And wherever we went, they took his shoes because I knew I was following in his footsteps. Mm -hmm. And on the last night, they asked if I would wear the man's shoes who's now dead. And I looked at him, and I just said, you know, I was going to try to walk behind him, but I wasn't worthy to wear his shoes. But I said, I'll hold him and take a picture for his wife. But I just didn't feel I was worthy enough to wear his shoes. But, man, it was because of him promoting others that I was a recipient. So, man, David Albritton in heaven is my hero. But you, that's the story. And I've been invited to go to Brazil with the guys in 2016. So some of the guys got pictures with Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant. And I was with Tony Parker. I played for Team France. And he, they just won the whole thing, as you know, with San Antonio Spurs. And... Now with LeBron going to Cavs, all the Miami fans are back to Cleveland, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I haven't caught up with that. I know he, he had mentioned something yesterday, and, and I didn't know if there was any uh, riots in the street or anything like that going on, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to finding out what's going on down in Miami right now. Yeah, it, but I, I just enjoy it all. But, yeah, that that's the thing. But um, Another word, Rob, you guys, I, I just believe um, who you respect is who you attract. And, you know, um, I was just recently on Sean Hannity's show in Fox. And you know how that door happened real quick in 20 seconds. I'll just tell you this. I, I, I was on a cruise speaking in the Bahamas about six years ago. And this young man from Alabama comes up to me and he goes, you're Frank Shelton. And I said, yes, sir. How you doing? He goes, well, man, I'm speaking on this ship, too. And I said, well, that's great. And he goes, man, you were on this television show and that television show and that television show. And I'm thinking wow, this guy's either a fan or a stalker. And I'm kind of <laughs> looking at him. And then he goes, the first words out of his mouth was, he says, can you get me on all of those shows? And my first thought was, wow, he's pretty bold. So I admire he's young and wanting to do something and swing for the fence. And I made a promise if I could ever open the door for someone, I would at least try. I'd never seen him speak. I'd never met him before, but he was kind. I was told in politics, under-promise, over-deliver. I took his card. I didn't promise the world, but I promised I would try. And within 30 days, I got him on two television shows by making three phone calls. And he gets on, and the initial part was, he didn't owe me a dime. I never thought he would return the favor. He didn't need to return the favor. And some people could have looked at this young man and thought, man, that's a little rude. Two, you're a little aggressive. Three, it took me 20 years to get there and figure it out on your own. But I believe someone once said a mentor uh, who could do more for you in a day than what you could do in a decade on your own. So I forgot I helped him. And I'm coming back from Atlanta one day and flying down 85, and I get a call on my cell phone from the young guy I helped he completely forgot about. He goes, Frank, I was on Fox News, and I'm thinking, I almost wrecked the car, thinking, how in the world did this young guy get on the national Fox News? And then he goes, I didn't forget you. He goes, man, I told the producers all about you, and can you get to New York in two days? They want you to be a guest on the show with me. And I thought, if I never opened that door for him, good night, I would have never gotten in that door. So it's just constantly thinking of others. 
whether they can help you or not. It's just the right thing to do. And it goes back to that hinge. How you help others may literally hinge on what happens for you. So I just believe sometimes you got to go backwards before you can go forwards. You know, speaking of travel, you know, and you travel all over the world, do you enjoy traveling? I mean, does it ever bog you down? Oh, man. Well, it can. it's exciting, but it can be exhausting, and that's a great question. But I do love to travel, um, um, but it does come with a price. You know, I think even Elvis Presley said, if it's not the stage or the back door, it's just the front door of a hotel um, door, and it's not always glamorous. And it's a privilege to see the world, but sometimes you'll fly in one city, on the first flight, and I've also been flying out on the last flight. You're not even there to completely enjoy it. Uh, but then sometimes you can literally take some time and see the sights. But the hardest part, everyone sees the platform publicly, but they don't see the price it took privately to get there. Not only the wear and tear on the body, but in my case now married with two kids, um, the hardest part is just sometimes leaving them, but my wife and I joke, she sees me as a library book. She loans me to the world, but she knows I'm coming back before it's due. So I come back just as fast as I can because I also respectfully just want to be well-respected at home. It's it's no good if you're famous in the world and not even faithful in the house. I just want to be respected by my kids. And, uh, you know, that they're only young for so long. So I'm just trying to make memories at the house can still make a difference when I'm out and about. You know, I would imagine traveling to different parts of America, uh, different churches of the world, has some great benefits, and I'm talking about some good old home cooking after service at a church oh, social. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, brother? <laughs> I do. I've tried to do the P90X at, at night. I'm on, <laughs> I, was, I was 6'1", 151 pounds the day I graduated from high school. I played on three basketball teams in one year. But, Lord, life on the road. I wore purple one time, and they're like, man, you look like Barney, and I knew I had to get on the trip. <laughs> so I was living large, but no, we're, we're really doing our best to stay trim, and um, life is short, and it's you got to put in the time to try to just be as healthy as possible. But, yeah, I, I just enjoy it all, man. But, yeah, the cooking is great. Um, last year, I was literally in 48 states, but there was a stretch we did. I also did 44 states in 10 days. And are you ready for this? It wasn't in a plane. Okay. We were on a bus. <laughs> and we did 13,000 miles in just over a week and a half. And we were averaging 1,200 miles a day. And when I say we were rolling, we were rolling. And, uh, <laughs> we mean, won't we say went, how fast you were going on it. <laughs> oh, man. We, it was wild. But the thing is, it's, I mean, we hit it all like Niagara Falls. And instead of coming back down, we cut across Canada come back through Detroit. I mean, we saw the Arch in St. Louis, um, where at Mount Rushmore. We watched the fireworks literally overlooking the Hollywood sign in California, drove across the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, we went to Yosemite, the National Parks, uh, the Grand Canyon, um, the Alamo in San Antonio. I mean, we had a blast. But this country, despite its problems, I'm telling you, is still the beautiful place I've ever been. Um, from sea to shining sea, I've been to Israel, I've been to Cairo, Egypt. I've been to a few places, but I didn't understand it as a kid. I'd hear the stories of folks coming back from the trip and literally get on their hands and knees and kiss the runway on American soil. Mm -hmm. 
But I now see it, despite our problems, she's still the greatest country on the planet. And that's not Eric, it's just an accurate station, statement. But I love what Rankin said. He said, if we ever become one nation uh, without being one nation under God, we will become a nation gone under. And uh, I know Australia is down under, but man, America is still that light shining on a hill. And uh, we both agree our our strength is not in our military, but in our morals. And we just got to continue to live right because uh, others get left out when we don't do it right. You know, Frank, that's what I like most about you is your laid back attitude and approach. You know, an example of that would be your, you have a you have a comical side to you, right? And I love that. Oh, do you incorporate yeah. that side? Do you incorporate that side of your sermons? Do you break out the impression? Oh, oh, I do. I believe if you start out with jokes, then you can hit them with what's most important. And of course, that's Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say it, but I was on television show just two nights ago, and a lady said, "Oh, that's so." This was more like local television, but she said, "Do you sing?" And I said, "Ma'am, I." I speak like heaven, but I sing like hell, and she about <laughs> fell off the side. <laughs> I got kicked with the fourth grade choir, but I just believe comedy, it really is like good medicine, and we do the impressions. Uh, I'm working on Morgan Freeman and Denzel, but I hit it with Bill Clinton and Stallone and Elvis, and I was on Sarah Palin's radio show, had me do President Ronald Reagan for 14 minutes on her radio show on <laughs> Ronald Reagan's birthday. So... You just, I just believe comedy uh, goes a long ways, and, and I also believe our setbacks go a lot further than talking about success, because most folks can't appreciate someone else's success. Two, they may think you're arrogant, or to be honest, three, they could care less. But when you share about setbacks and struggles and the storms you've weathered, man, uh, those go across party lines. They go across our economic backgrounds. And it's like they relate to you, they want to learn more about you, and uh, they are motivated not by so much your success but our setbacks. So I really enjoy both the jokes but also just being real, being wrong, and that's what makes us relevant. You know, this is a question I ask so many people who've been on our show who are ministers. What What is that feeling like, you know, when after you speak at a church, you know, or even during, I suppose, and you have those people that come forward and give their life to Christ and ask God to take over and totally surrender their life and put their faith in him and knowing that you kind of led them to that. Right. Well, I'll tell you this, man, that's a great question. Well, I had the privilege to speak last night in Clinton, South Carolina, and 19 people gave their life to Jesus after the one sermon. And I'll just tell you this, it never gets old, but two, I know that it's just God working through me but it is definitely not me. Um, and I think all of us are ministers, and I will say this, it is the greatest high. I've had some of my friends that got hooked up with heroin, mm. and when they got hooked up with heaven, they'll tell you with tears, the greatest high is not in heroin, it's in heaven. One guy told me, man, I used to think the high was in crack, but man, it's just bragging on Christ. And one guy told me, man, I used to think it was LSD, and now it's the Lord. And one guy said, Man, I thought it was marijuana, but because it's just promoting the master, and it's not PCP. It's just talking about the Prince of Peace and the purpose you can get when you live for God. So, yeah, it's it's a great high. Um, I've also heard um, Billy Graham's grandson is a dear friend, and matter of fact, he's coming to hear me speak on Sunday. So pray for me. It's uh, 
it's when you got Billy Graham's family in the audience, it doesn't get much better yeah. than that. But you got some important the, ears listening to you. Oh, man. But you know what? I tell people whether they're homeless or Harvard or Hollywood stars, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. The ground is level and that everybody needs Jesus. But, but just to say what Billy Graham said reading autobiographies about him is, it's exhilarating, but it is exhausting. In that moment, Satan is whispering in their ear, don't go further, don't tell them how they can get to heaven. They're going to yawn, they're going to laugh. One guy looks asleep. Um, <laughs> they don't want that. It sounds religious, just stop. And, you know, you're promoting heaven, but honestly, at that moment, you're going through hell. And it's like he plays with your mind. And I heard one well-known pastor say that, you know, you see the one hour of heaven that I'm preaching on the stage, but you don't see the 23 hours of relentless hell that the demons are chasing me. Mm -hmm. And I, they say Monday, especially after speaking Sunday all day, they call it a holy hangover, and I mean that respectfully. But <laughs> I've never heard of that. Just, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's you're going through depression, you're having doubts, uh, you're thinking about resigning, you know, quitting. Um, someone once said for every one hour that you speak on behalf of God, it's equated to an eight-hour manual labor job. And all work is no rule, but, you know, I think of these guys with picks and X and sledgehammers and working in 100-degree heat, eight hours. And, you know, when I hear what Billy Graham said, and I know what I go through sometimes, it is enormous highs, but it comes with deep, dark lows. And the irony is I wouldn't trade it for anything, but, boy, it also comes with a price. And here's the thing. Someone once said, if we don't take all the credit, we don't have to take much of the criticism. Mm -hmm. So we just give God all the credit. And, you know, I learn from there's a sliver of truth at every critic. Um, I try to humbly learn from something. Is it something that I can adjust? And that's not just in speaking or preaching. You know, it's for the businessmen listening today or, you know, the athlete to fine-tune. But the other side of that is someone once said, jealousy is just lousy. That's why five letters of jealousy spell lousy. And a former president said, hey, if you get kicked from behind, it just means you're out front. So I just keep rolling with the punches and trying to be humble enough to learn, but smart enough to realize I'm still that turtle on the fence post and it's really not me. So what's on the agenda right now for you? If I'm not mistaken, you spoke about this a few minutes ago maybe, but uh, you're doing a lot of traveling this weekend. You're speaking in a lot of different yeah, churches. Yeah, well, what's next is, man, I'm looking at a Cracker Barrel billboard. I wish you were here. <laughs> <laughs> Cracker Barrel is, uh, is Frank's favorite restaurant, right? Oh, man, it's up there. Yeah, Cracker Barrel's my favorite, and uh, I like Chick-fil-A and Carabas and, man, pizza, whatever. I just, I'm just a simple guy, but I love friends and food, and... Uh, I'd love to have a Ferrari. I don't know if it's in the cards, but man, Magnum was my favorite piece. Here. But uh, no, yet um, I'm speaking in Greenville, South Carolina tonight. I was in Clinton, South Carolina yesterday. Tomorrow I'm speaking in Gaffney, South Carolina. I'll speak twice. And then Monday um, I'll be back on Capitol Hill, uh, definitely Tuesday morning. And what's crazy, um, guys, even what I walked away from, on the side, um, as a Fox News contributor, about once a month, would you believe I'm invited back in the West Wing of the White House? And yeah, what side, kind of honor is that? I'm, I was going to ask you that White earlier. What, what, I mean, press correspondent. 
I on mean, the side. So we wear a lot of hats. Yes, um, you do. It's humbling. You know, I did work for two presidents of two parties in the past, and I believe what you walk away from sometimes will run down and chase you down. And I just wanted to make sure that um, if I wasn't careful a couple of years ago, when God said go, I had to be gone because delayed obedience is disobedience. And two, you can make your job or a girlfriend an idol. And even good can become bad if the um, priorities are wrong. And I walked away, but I do believe God honored me because what I was willing to sacrifice and walk away, I never dreamt that he would open the door to occasionally come back. So I actually have been able to get the best of both worlds. And um, it's humbling. Uh, gosh, just a month ago, I was right on the South Lawn as Marine One landed and the president and his wife getting off of man that right I am. People are taking pictures of me next to the helicopter and I'm like, man, I'm no big deal. I'm just <laughs> Oh come on, you, you weren't posing, you weren't striking a pose, like you know Oh man. I'm telling you guys, I am just a clown. But the fact is is but we've been very fortunate, we've been blessed and you know that first book was clear first calling, but my second book is was called The Blessedness of Brokenness and I don't know who this is for, but man God doesn't use the blessed, he uses broken people. And that's just, that's where it's at. And, you know, your scars go a long ways, and people are inspired to get by setbacks. And my new book just came out two months ago. It's called Caring Greatness. And what's wild is I told you at the beginning of the program, my ancestors carried Abraham Lincoln in death. But would you believe my ancestor on my mother's side in 1912, 102 years ago, hand-planted the renowned cherry blossoms in Washington that folks come around the world to see that gift of Okinawa, Japan, that those pink flowers every April bloom. So one ancestor carried the president death, the other planted the iconic cherry blossoms in life, but both carried greatness. My dad's best friend was an honorary pallbearer at Elvis Presley's funeral. I saw Elvis in concert twice. At age five in 1977, 10 concerts before Elvis died. And my dad's friend was an honorary pallbearer, which means if you have a friend die, it's a high honor to be asked to carry that casket. The irony is Elvis was known by billions by his first name, loved by billions, but my dad's friend was a pallbearer at Elvis's funeral. So in the new book, Carrying Greatness, my ancestor carried the king of the nation with Lincoln. My dad's friend helped carry the king of rock and roll with Elvis. Five years ago, the Jackson Four carried MJ, not Jordan, but Michael Jackson at the Staples Center. Mm -hmm. And they didn't carry the king of the nation, king of rock and roll, but man, they carried the king of pop. But man, the reason I love Joseph Timothy in the Bible, we carry the king of all kings uh, by our life and lips. And that just goes back, whether we're at Walmart or the White House, I just pray when people see us, they see something bigger than me, and that's the God inside of me. Hey, amen on that, brother. Amen. One more question, and this is a question we ask yeah. pretty much all our guests before we wrap up the show. What's something no one knows about Frank Shelton? I mean, well, almost everyone, you know, right? Do you have any hobbies, favorite TV shows, something you do on your downtime oh, to relax? Yeah, I, you guys are great. Um, first of all, I love 80s music. I don't know if that was partly just my generation, but I love 80s music. I just... Um, I, I do enjoy sports. Um, I think a lot of times people think, oh, man, if 
if you're out on the road or you're doing something for God, you're just a geek, a nerd, or you have no passion. And, you know, gosh, we lost the state championship in basketball, and you, you don't always uh, remember the wins, but you don't forget the losses. But, I mean, the last three out of four years, I've missed the Super Bowl just because I'm on a plane speaking, and when they book me, I forget it's the Super Bowl. So some of these planes got TVs, but, you know, really, I just, I love cars. Um, you know, I don't think it's wrong to like nice things. I could throw out some statistics for you on engines and speed and horsepower, everything mm-hmm. from muscle cars to exotics. And I just, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not ashamed to say I got cut from the fourth grade choir. I got a D as in public speaking. And that's what I do for a living. And I looked at that high school teacher and I said, D, is that for dynamite? She rolled her head. She said, maybe you need a lot of work. <laughs> so my motto is you don't have to be the best, but if you do your best, God does the rest. And again, he uses imperfect people and uh, thank God for that. But I just want to encourage your listeners that, man, uh, you guys rock. If you had money, if I had money, you'd be in the will. And uh, <laughs> I will buy you a lunch the next time I'm rolling through that region where you live. But, um, but yeah, I just want to encourage folks, man, you may be down and discouraged. There's someone listening today going through a divorce. Some of you going through debt. One guy just found out he has a disease. Uh, a lot of folks struggle with depression. A lot of people feel down, but I tell people, if you're not dead, God's not done. And uh, I'm telling you, your setbacks are really a setup for your future success. So Babe Ruth, I heard, celebrated, it was 100 years ago that he really got into baseball this week. And in one season, he led the league in home runs. You ask me what folks don't know about me, but what a lot of people don't know about the great Bambino, Babe Ruth led the league in home runs. Everyone knows that. But in the same season, the same man led the league in strikeouts. It's almost oxymoron, but what I love about Babe He always Ruth, swung for the fences, that's for sure. He did, man. And you're going to knock a few foul. You're going to get a few strikeouts. You're going to ground out quite a bit. But, man, if you just stay in the botter's back, stay focused, swing for the fence, man, if you get a hold of it, uh, next thing you know, life will take you further than you thought. So I just keep swinging for the fence. Well, Frank, tell everybody where they can go as far as website, social media, and stuff like that to get more information yeah, about you, well, where you're going to be at, and stuff like that. Well, thank you. Yeah, our calendar, um, in the next four weeks, I'm booked. I'm finishing up South Carolina. I'll be in North Carolina. I'm going to be in Virginia. I just got booked yesterday, August 8th and 9th. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona speaking. Um, I just got back from California. Uh, the calendar for faith-based stuff, you can go to Frank. Shelton, S-H-E-L-T-O-N dot com. If there's a teacher out there, I speak at public schools. I don't come in preaching, but I am all about reaching and teaching. Uh, we do character message. No, the bullying's a big topic. I believe winners are wonderful. Winners, one of these you got to watch out for. I don't believe you get ahead by picking on others, and that's frankshelton.org. We also do corporate events. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I got three followers on Twitter. If you want to be forward, at Frank Shelton. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big I'd Twitter person add. either. Hey, be, hey, you know that don't mean nothing well, because you, if you're not a Twitter person and you're not out there tweeting all the time, and you know it's just uh, I don't know. I'm just not well, a big I was Twitter joking. 
I really have seven friends on Twitter, but I will tell you, back in the day, I was on MySpace, and they told me Tom followed everybody, and that brother didn't even follow me, so I'm just struggling. <laughs> oh, wow, man. You talk about the luck. <laughs> oh, man. But you guys made my day, and um, I, I'd love to stay in touch, and I was so thrilled you had my buddy Dan Meyer, and uh, I'll leave you with this. We were in Steak and Shake in Nashville, Tennessee, and what were the odds Nikita was in town, and uh, all of us did a, a a cruise to Jamaica one time, Dan, Nikita, and I, and uh, but found out Nikita was coming through Nashville, and man, I just uh, made a phone call, and Nikita met us at the steak and shake, and Dan brought in his sword, and he swallowed a sword <laughs> in front of everybody at the steak and shake. We gave him free publicity, so he got the former world wrestling champ. It was like one of those pictures where you got Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and Elvis and those guys are my heroes, and again, I'm, I'm not saying I deserve to be in the picture. I was just forced out once again having a shake with the big toys, but those guys rock, and just thank you for having me. But, man, uh, I just will leave you with the word of the day that uh, when you're down to nothing, I found out God is up to something. Radio Show.